0: Good evening. Our text this evening is from 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, these evening messages have been inspired by a series of lessons that I've been going through with the students uh, on the characters of a people in the Old Testament. And uh, we've gone through and studied some on the prophet Elijah as he... Uh, challenged the prophets of Baal. Uh, we did together last week the story of Achan. Um, I haven't had much time to reflect much on that after the Sunday school lesson or after the Wednesday lesson, so maybe the next time we meet, I might do a message on, K- on Achan. But uh, today we're going to be doing Elijah and the God who answers by fire. Our text, uh, 1 Kings 18, starting verses uh, 16 to 46. Let's read together. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah and said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. In your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to Mount to me at Mount Carmel, and the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred priests of Ashereth, who eat at Jezebel's table. So I have sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said how long will you go limping between two different opinions if the Lord is God follow him but if Baal then follow him and the people did not answer him a word then Elijah said to the people I even I only am left a prophet of the Lord but Baal's prophets are 450 men let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood But put no fire to it, and I will prepare the other bowls, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. Choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them, given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, "O Baal, answer us." But there was no voice and no and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs, and with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at midday passed, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord and had been, uh, that had been uh, thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel should be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord your God. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowls in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And water ran around the altar and filled the trenches also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal." Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Uh, Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing as he instructs us in his word. Father, we are thankful once again for the privilege we have uh, to come under the hearing of your word. We are thankful for the privilege we have for the second time to come and to delight in the good things that you have for us, these wondrous things out of your word. Oh Lord, we ask that you would come in our midst today and work in our hearts, build us up, strengthen us, create in us zeal and holiness, creating us the desire to live the life that you've called us to. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us. Uh, Lord, that you would use me so that I am an instrument of your word, of your messenger, of your message. And I pray that you would shine and that Jesus Christ would be lifted up uh, through the preaching and through the teaching of your word. Thou may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, The author, Robert Robinson, uh, the author of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, uh, in the third stanza of that song, asks God, bind my heart to Thee to bind my heart to thee. Why, he says, because my heart is pruned to wonder, pruned to leave the God I love. When Joshua was at the twilight of his life, he gathered the congregation of Israel in Joshua chapter 24 one last time to challenge them. His message was this, do not wander away from God to the idols of the land of the Canaanites, the land in which you're entering. And don't wander away from the God for the idols of your ancestors. In Joshua 24 verses 14 to 28, he says, choose whom you will serve. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom You will serve, whether the gods of your father, the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua goes on admonishing the people, and then they answered him in verses 16 Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. for he is our God." And so when Joshua appeared at the twilight of his years to warn and to call Israel to absolute loyalty to God, and the children of Israel, the congregation of the Lord at the time, were eager. They said, we will serve the Lord. We will serve him. Joshua pleaded with them, You can't. God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate idolatry. They said, Joshua, don't worry. We'll serve the Lord. And so what we find, two or three, about 300 years later, the kingdom is divided. We come across the prophet Elijah. And what we've seen from the time of Joshua up until the time of The prophet Elijah is this war that has been going on for the hearts and souls of the children of Israel. And it's the same war that is going on today for our hearts and souls. The heart or the war for the allegiance of our hearts and souls. And what we find in this text is that God wants and demands absolute allegiance, absolute loyalty. God will not have us waver, titter. God will not have us being halfway allegiant to him. God will have all of our loyalty and he fights and in his zeal he goes out to us. And in this text we see him in his zeal going out for the children of Israel, even presenting for them a sign to bring them back to himself and to call them back to obedience. And so this passage before us is a passage about God's people and their wandering hearts and and God as the great zealous, jealous God, the father of his children, going out in his zeal and with mercy bringing his people back and demanding their total loyalty to him. The wandering hearts of God's people in his mercy bringing them back in zeal and commanding them to loyalty. That's what we're going to look at. Where do we see this happening? <coughs> God's people's wandering and wavering heart. First, in verses 21, uh, here is some background to our story. Elijah is a prophet that ministers during the time of this wicked king, King Ahab. Uh, king Ahab was part of, was part of uh, Omri's dynasty and who was Amri, his father. Amri was the eighth king of the northern kingdom of Israel who reigned about 874 to 853. Uh, he founded a dynasty, Omri, for, that lasted for 40 years. And he and his sons, Ahab, and, their two, and Ahab's two sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram, uh, ruled during this span of 40 years of the Omri dynasty. This dynasty had an impact beyond uh, the biblical and historical record being mentioned on the famous Moabite stone and in several Assyrian inscriptions. Amri was a general in the army of King Eli, son of Basha. When Eli was assassinated, assassinated Amri was acclaimed king by his own forces in the field. This is found in 1 Kings 16. He prevailed in a resulting civil war and occupied Tezra, the capital city. And sooner he moved that city and renamed the capital of Israel to Samaria. And he built fortifications uh, throughout that place during his reign. Amri also made alliances with the Phoenicians, even as David and Solomon had done before him. But then his son Ahab went a step further. He married into the family of the Phoenicians, or the Sidonians rather. Uh, He married Jezebel in the name itself. Is a name that lives in infamy. Any of us who are familiar with the biblical record knows about Jezebel. Uh, this was a notorious queen that was brought into Israel during a time when Israel's God was still Jehovah, Yahweh. And Jezebel had as her ambition to, to overturn that policy of Yahweh being the God of Israel and bringing in her gods, the God Baal and Ashtoreth the God of the sky, the God who controlled the sun, who controlled the lightning, who was in charge of the weather, and his consort, Asherah, who was in charge of fertility and the growing of plants and things in the natural order. And so the scripture tells us that Ahab was one of the wickedest king because of his policy of wiping all of Israel off, uh, wiping all of the prophets of God out of the land of Israel and installing idol worship, the worship of Baal and Asherah. Elijah the prophet confronted Ahab for this change of policy, for this apostasy that had taken place. But apparently the people of Israel at the time uh, were eager to go along with the king and his queen's policy of removing Yahweh and replacing him with false gods. And so Elijah appeared before the king, told him that because of his sin of introducing idolatry into the land of Israel, for turning the people's heart away from the true and living God, he would withhold rain. And here, Ahab and his wife and the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, they have a serious problem on their hand because if Baal is the God of the sun and moon and he's the one who controls the weather, he has a direct challenger in Yahweh, the the God of Israel, the God of heaven, who promises to withhold rain. And so this was a test of this false god. And for three years, the children of Israel didn't get any rain, and they experienced a famine. Even though everything else was going well economically, they were doing good because of Ahab's policy, commerce with other nations. He had a great and wonderful army, and Ahab had a great relationship with the neighboring countries. But here, we see that the people are suffering because of the famine. Elijah, the prophet, who had brought about this famine, had brought about this halting of rain for three years, was, was on the loose, and he was a wanted man like bin Laden. He had, had used all of his personal contacts to reach out to all of the nations around him to say, if you find this prophet of God, Elijah, bring him in. Bring him in. And then when we get to verses 18, chapter 18, the prophet Elijah shows up. He brings himself in. And at first, when he appears to Obadiah, who was probably the chief of staff or some big royal official in Ahab's government, uh, Obadiah refused because he was afraid God or Ahab had been looking everywhere for Elijah and couldn't find him. And Obadiah probably thought Elijah was uh, proposing another trick or another ruse to tell the king that he's here, and only when the king come looking for him, for the prophet to disappear. But this time Elijah decided that he would meet with the prophet and he would be the instrument of God to call the nation back from wavering in their sin, from following idols, and he would be the instrument of God to turn them back to the true and living God. And so the battle... The great battle for the hearts and souls of the people of Israel takes place on Mount Carmel, where the prophet summoned the king, the false prophets of Baal, to come and have a contest to see who is the true and living God. And so they all gathered up on the mountain. And in verses 25, Elijah first proposes. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so the challenge is simple we're going to have a sacrifice. To our gods. On one side you have Elijah by himself representing the God of Israel and on the other side you have 400 prophets of Baal and you have the king of Israel, you have the royal family and then you have all of the people are, are watching as spectators and Elijah appears before them. First we read the rebuke that he gave the people, because his heart is really to see that God's people turn back to him. And so the rebuke again to the people, how long will you go limping between two opinions? He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the scripture tells us that the people didn't answer a word. They were probably ashamed. Because for this Amount of time, for however long Ahab had been king of Israel, after he had published his, his policy of worshiping these idols, the people had gone along with it, even though they might not have been wholeheartedly on board with him. But these were people that were the people of the Lord. But these were Christian people who found themselves in a situation where, from the top, idol worship was a policy and was imposed upon them. And so it's same as though they didn't put up any objections. They didn't fight against it, and they just kind of went along with it. And we find ourselves in most of our world today where we have top-down governments that are attempting to eradicate the worship of the true and living God. We don't live in a communist country. We don't live in this in Arabic countries where there's a real policy to stamp out Christianity. We live in a secular country uh, for all intents and purposes that would want us to keep our Bibles and our religion in our homes and to give in and, and acquiesce to the gods of our age that tell us that we now believe in science and technology because science and technology has explained everything in, puts us in a place where there is no need to rely on the scriptures and on the word of God to tell us truth. We live in a place and time where many have forsaken the worship of God. Many have left the church. Many are doubting and many are wavering in their opinion, in their faith, and in their hearts about who and whether the true and living God is God. And so this challenge to the people of Israel is a challenge to us. How long do we waver? How long are we going to keep holding and limping, as the scripture says, between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And so the call to the prophets of Baal, select yourself a bull, make an altar, call upon your God, whichever God would come down and consume the offering this god has proven himself to be the god that is the true and living god and so the prophets of baal goes to work they set up their altar they they they, they cut up their bowl and put them on it and they start out to pray to their god nothing's happening time is going on and they're carrying on their ceremony and they're chanting and they're singing they're ripping their, 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 their skin and their flesh to pieces. They're using their blood and mingling it with the offerings. This was their custom to chant, to sing, to cut themselves because their God was like themselves. Their God was, their gods were like men. Their gods were like people. Their gods could go to, uh, the restroom. Their gods could go on a journey. Their gods could sleep. And so Elijah starts to taunt him. Maybe he's on the journey. He's, he's far away. Maybe you need to, to call louder for him to come. Uh, maybe he's using the restroom and he needs to be in the private right now. and Give him some time and he'll show up. Uh, maybe he's, uh, you know, whatever. He's, he's in this pose. Find a way. However you do it. Get a hold of him. Let him come. Show up. And demonstrate to us that he's worthy of. Of our allegiance, that He's worthy of our worship, and He's worthy of our praise and adoration. And so this goes on. The people cut themselves They sing, and they cry out to Baal, and on and on and on, and nothing happens. And it's interesting the refrain uh, that is used over and over in verses twenty-nine. And at midday, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But here is the phrase that had been a refrain. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You see, this is the response that we get from idols. They're like the wood that people use to carve out these gods, they have no ears, they can't hear, they have no life because they were created by the people who worshipped them. No one answered and no one paid attention. Why? Because they were praying to and worshipping a false god. Now you would think at this time in the lives of these people, they would have already known that this god, this idol that they were given their allegiance to, this idol that they were worshipping, was a false god. They should have known by now. Why? Because he supposedly was the god of lightning and thunder and rain and storms and, and things of that sort. But here, there have been no rain for three years. And these prophets and these people have been praying to these gods for many years throughout this famine and they have not showed up. Elijah puts them to an open contest and their God still doesn't show up. And so it is with the gods, the false gods. The scripture tells us there's no God but the Lord because he alone is able to Send rain. He alone is able to speak in, into creation. He's able to speak in, and things come into existence. He alone knows the end from the beginning. He alone is the true and living God. And so when Elijah prays to him, Elijah prays and says, in verses 36, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And so while this passage highlights the courage of Elijah, while it puts us On the first roll to see Elijah, this man of God, one man against this multitude, the king and his armies, the king and the priests, 400 priests of this false god. Imagine what courage it would have taken for one man to defy this great king and all of his prophets. But while we can spend time looking at the person Elijah and how God prepared him and equipped him and fitted him to stand up for truth at a time when everybody else seemed to have fallen and turned their back and ran away from truth. We see that this story is about God in compassion and zeal going out and bringing his people back to him and calling them to loyalty. It was a great debate between uh, Greg Bonson and an atheist apologist by the name of Gordon Stein in 1985 at the University of California, Irvine. I don't know how many of you have witnessed it or have listened to it or heard about it, but I believe at the end of that debate, um, someone in the audience asked the atheists what needs to happen. Uh, what needs to be presented? What evidence do you need to, to prove that God exists? And I thought he would have said something bizarre, you know. Heaven opened, something ran, you know, heaven ran, and, and, and angels appear to me and, and things of that nature. He says, no, I want to see something supernatural. Just, you know, if, if I was standing here and, and all of a sudden my podium started to move and everybody could witness it, I said, man, that's, that's really it's cheap. I mean, is that all you really want to see? Uh, for you to believe, for, for there to be enough evidence for you to believe that there is a God? But here is God condescending to the children of Israel. God had sent his prophets, preached to them. God had withheld the reign for three years. Still, they're holding back. Elijah shows up, ultimate challenge, and he prays before them. He says, I'm doing this so that you all, all of you can see, people, that I'm a servant of God. And he says, God, answer me, that these people may know that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And so Elijah is not doing it for his own name, for his own fame. He's not doing it because he's trying to put Ahab in his place, show him off shame him, he said he's doing it so that the Lord would turn the people's hearts back. So that they will know that it's God who's turning their hearts back. This great sign. In verses 38 it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dusts and lick up the water that was in the trenches, or in the trench. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This was the response. And this was exactly what the Lord was going for. That his people would acknowledge that he, Jehovah, the creator of all things, the God who created them, the God who called them out of Earth earl of the Chaldee through Abraham, the God who delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, the God who took them through the Red Sea, the God who brought them into the promised land and gave them the land, the God that they had forsaken and had gone after idols. He is God. And he is worthy of their worship and their loyalty and their commitments. And he alone is deserving of it. So the atheists want a sign. And what sign has, has God given to his people? It's interesting, during the course of the debate, he would not listen, even though evidence was presented to him. But how has God gone out of his way to give us a sign? so that we, his people, can have confidence in him. What about the empty tomb? The empty tomb that cannot be historically refuted. No evidence has been marshaled to refute the fact that Christ was raised. How about the fact that God became man and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth? and that the apostles and the prophets and more than 500 New Testament witnesses attested to this fact. How about the reality that Christ lives among us and his life was a life that we, when given to us, is a vicarious life. He lived perfectly for us. The fact that he suffered and was brutalized and whipped with the cat of nine tails so that his body bled out and was pierced of a spear, so that blood and water mingled, uh, mingled from his side. What about the fact that he was on the cross, and 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 after some hours said, "It is finished," and and died, and was buried, and after three days rose again. This is the sign that God has given to His church that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." And so God has not left us without a sign. God has given us this supernatural sign that's irrefutable in the empty tomb, the resurrection of Christ. At his ascension, the scripture tells us that more than 500 people were witnesses to it. When he ascended into heaven, he told them, all power has been given to me. Go into all the world and make disciples." baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so as we anticipate, as we wait for the coming of the Lord, Jesus, we wait in hope. We wait with the fact that we have been given ample signs. And our God in his zeal and love for his own holiness has come after us. In love, he chose us. He adopted us. He made us into sons and daughters and brought us into his family. He's given us his name. He's united himself to us. And he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. And yet, we wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Tom Chilies wrote, Within us is this constant competition. This constant battle between two prunes. We're being renewed. We're being made holy. And over the course of life, sin's power is fading as the greater inclination towards holiness overwhelm and overcome the dying inclination to sin. Now, this is where we are in the world. And God calls us. In the words of the hymn writer, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prune to leave the God I love. And then the second part to that song is, here is my heart. Take it. Seal it. Seal it for your courts above. God is calling us to complete loyalty to him. Not to waver between two sides. To cast aside the idols and flee to him. Because he, in his grace, has Come and invited us, called us to himself. And so we pray, here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for our courts above. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for the stories that you've given us to affirm your great zeal and love and jealousy for your people that you come when we're wavering, when we're lingering, when we Lord are caught in the midst of the battle for our souls. You come and you rescue us. And you reveal Christ to us. and You make us your own. We pray that you'll give us the grace that we need to continue to give you our hearts so you can seal it for your courts above. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.